today I'm going to start a, just a quick series on kingdom economics. Uh, I would like to talk about, the, we've been talking about the theme of the kingdom quite frequently in this last year, kingdom values, kingdom culture. Um, part of kingdom culture is that we need to understand how finances work in the kingdom of God. Um, and so we're going to do a series on financial stewardship um, and I think it's quite, quite necessary because, you know, right now the, 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 um, the economy of the U.S. is going through a pretty hard time. Um, there are some real pressures out there, some decisions that was made that uh, have caused the economy to now be under a lot of pressure. And uh, many of us are looking at our 401ks, we're looking at our investments, and we're, we're not seeing a pretty picture. And we're, we're, we're getting stressed, we're getting like, oh, what's going to happen? How is this going to end up? And so I'd like to speak into that because there is such great hope found in the gospel of Jesus Christ when it comes to matters of economy. Um, just so you all know that, um, you know, we don't often speak about finances in this church. Uh, we have an incredibly generous church. We have, we've got people that love to worship God with their finances in this church. But there are also people that are new to this idea of money and being talked about in the church. So um, I'll speak to that for a little bit. But as kingdom citizens, we are able to live by faith when everybody is living by fear. And right now, people are living by fear. There's fear all around us. Oh, don't worry about her. She's perfectly awesome. She is worshiping Jesus in her own right. All right. Come on. That don't bother us at all. Um, but it's true. People are, you know, um, the economy, the world's economies are literally based on fear. When there is not much fear, there is a little bit more relaxation. But there's always fear. Fear is the factor that drives the world's economies. And as kingdom citizens, God wants us to escape this system. He wants us to, to learn how to operate on a level that is, that is not ignorant of what is happening around us, but that does not respond to what's happening around us in the same way that people that do not have God on the inside of them would respond, okay? God wants to lift us and put us on a rock, the Bible says, that's higher than us. It's, uh, in other words, give us a perspective of what's going on so that we will know what he is doing in the world and how if we will respond by faith in what he is doing It'll always cause us to respond in moments where everybody freaks out with calm assertiveness that leads to progress, not destruction. And so do we have to respond when the world is responding like this? Yes, we do have to respond. But there's a way that you can respond that's reactive or there's a way that's, that you can act that is responsive. And the minute you connect your, disconnect your mind and your heart from this economy of fear-driven decisions, you're able to listen and hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit say, here's what I want you to do. Take this, move it there. You're going to be iry. Kingdom citizens are able to live by faith. And you know what this does? It confuses the world. Because when everybody else is freaking out around you and you're not, they want to tell, they want to tell you what, you know, they want to tell you, you should also be freaking out. And when you just don't respond to it, it's almost like they go, oh, he's going down. <laughs> and then when you don't, they go like, what the heck, man? Why didn't you like, you know, and you know how that really intrigues people? about the faith that we're proclaiming, it makes people wonder, man, how, how did you manage to go ahead while everybody else was going backwards? And that is the, the way that the kingdom of God wants you to set yourself up so that you will be a testimony of the goodness of God, a testimony of the protection of God. But until we make that decision to disconnect from the world's economic way of thinking, 
we will just be like everybody else, being, you know, being, being drugged and, 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 and swung back and forth with fear, and, and we will make the same mistakes that people around us do. Often say this, and I want to emphasize it again, right believing leads to right living. Until something becomes an internal conviction to you, external behavior will be inconsistent. And so the matter of the king of finances in the kingdom, as is very similar in, 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 in earthly finances as well. If you, make, if you make haphazard decisions, you do something, you do something, you do something, you change it. You, wealth is usually built very patiently and over time. And people who try to go quick usually goes bust. And we can't make rules on exceptions. And so what, what, what we get fed all the time with stories of success are not the stories of the rule. They're stories of exception. And so what we need to learn is we need to learn how to trust the process that God lays out before us. Because if we trust that process with, with time, with patience, and with faithfulness to his principles, these things at the end of the day will come through for us. But that needs to become an internal conviction before it'll guide you in your decisions. And so what we're talking about here today needs to really settle in your heart of hearts as this is the way I deal with matters concerning the economy, my finances, um, you know, uh, my perspective of building wealth. So usually what we do is we just point to certain right motivations before we talk about our generosity um, and giving at the end of a service. And all those are just little reminders to have our hearts right. So today I want to go and have a heart-to-heart talk. I'm not going to be, this is not going to be tell you what you need to do. This is going to drill to the core of your heart's motivation on finances. And hopefully through today, we can align our hearts with the heart of God that will lead us to be able to respond to his principles. We'll talk about that next week and the week to come. Matthew 6, 20, 21 says this, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Finances is just so uh, frequently linked to our hearts, to our faith, to our motives, our inner thoughts in Scripture. And so it's so important that we understand that um, every household has or is a part of an economy, right? Your manage, you managing your house involves managing your finances, You taking care of your house means taking care of it financially. And it is very important that we realize that the house of God, I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the kingdom of God, also manages resources. And it manages those resources in alignment with the vision of the kingdom of God, not in alignment with the demands of humanity. And that's a very important thing to realize. God's resources are pointed towards his agenda and his objectives, as would be for any good business. Not necessarily our demands. Now, you have to see this from a global perspective also. We sometimes live in a, in, a, in a bubble to just be kind of like our own environment. This is what we as, you know, Cajuns need. Or this is what we as Americans need if we make the bubble a little bigger. But what about South America? North, what about Canada? No, let's not talk about Canada. They're, they're, you know, I'm just kidding. Okay. Hey, can, can, we, can we have some fun now and then, please? Um, what about China? What about Christians in Africa? in Muslim Africa, in the Muslim East. What about Australia? Like, I feel about Australians, y'all feel about Canadians. Like, who wants to talk about them? Nobody, right? Okay, good, let's move on. (laughs) I love Australia. I wanna go there one day, just so I can give them a hard time. (laughs) But the thing is, though, that, you know, our demands are different on every continent. 
And so God is going to be schizophrenic if he has to go like, okay, how do I respond to this need? How do I respond to that? Because those needs are often in contradiction to each other. But are the Christian in China praying for God to help the Chinese? And you go, I ain't praying for the Chinese. Them folks are taking over everything. So if God was to respond to our needs in every way, in channeling his resources, then the world would be so skewed and so messed up. It would be so unfair, so unjust. And God just doesn't operate that way. And so what we got to understand is we got to first learn what's his objectives when we think about finances and, and managing you know, and, and, and praying about the resources of the kingdom. It's a very important part of it. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's through this craving, this, this never-ending pursuit of more, that they have wandered from the faith. Because when, because when your internal desire is in conflict with the kingdom's desire, you're going to want to pull away from it. So let me just say this. When you are feeling a pull to distance yourself from God's agenda, the way God's operating and managing his kingdom and his church, then then you should become really aware of what's happening internally. You're not being drawn away by righteous motives. It's probably because there is a conflict on the inside of you toward what God is doing and what you want done. That you feel, I can't, allow my, I can't continue in this context because if I'm in this context, I'm going to have to submit to God's way of doing things. And so I'll rather pull away from it so I can justify wanting to do what I want to do. And nothing is more clear about this than when it comes to money. Consider these facts. 16 out of 30 of Jesus' 38 parables deals with money and possessions. It's almost half, y'all. So don't tell me this isn't an aspect that really affects our hearts. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with biblical stewardship. Jesus wasn't afraid to tackle this matter because he knew the great opposition that it uh, presented to people's hearts being loyal to him. One out of 10 verses in the Gospels deal with, 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 with money. There are more than 2,000 scriptures on tithing in the Bible, money and possessions. And, and that's, that's twice as many as for faith and prayer combined. So if you combine all the verses in the Bible that's recorded about faith and prayer, and you count them up, money's been talked about twice more than that. So there, the, the truth and the fact is that there is a direct correlation between the way we handle our money and our faith. It's often the, the, the biggest um, um, uh, re revealing factor of where we are in our walk with God. When it comes to money, we will either worship our wealth or we will worship with our wealth. And that's the switch that I would like us to make today if you have not made that switch yet. We will either worship our wealth because we will believe that it is our wealth that's going to enable us to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Or we will worship with our wealth because we believe that God's kingdom and his principles is going to enable us to accomplish what we want to accomplish. But the world will teach you that, you know, it takes money to make things happen. If I believed that, y'all, I wouldn't be here today, literally. If I believed it makes money to make things, takes money to make things happen, I would not be standing in front of you today. Why? Because when we left South Africa, we did not have, by any means, the financial ability to make a move like this happen. 
Responding to God's call on your life requires that you don't look to money to make it happen. It just does. Because the kingdom of God is always going to ask you to do things by faith. And faith by nature means that you don't have the ability to do it physically. It's the nature of faith that we're stepping into a, into a battle that humanly is not possible. And so I have to believe that somehow this is going to materialize. And the kingdom of God operates on faith. The kingdom of God will let you know that it takes faith to make things happen. And so when you worship God with everything you have, you're literally taking your abilities, your resources, and you're giving it to God to direct and to add to, to then accomplish what needs to happen. But until you're willing to bring your two loaves and your two fish and your five loaves to Jesus, all you're going to do is you're going to ration. I'm thinking of the little fish. All right, stick out your tongue. Mm, good meal. You're going to work with existing resources. And when Jesus told his disciples, you feed them, they looked at an impossibility. And yet they had to respond by faith. And guess who responded by faith? That child. <laughs> Jesus, I don't have much, but I, I, what I have, I'll, I'll entrust to you. So that you can do what you can do. Because I can't do what you can do. But without me offering to you, you can't do through me what you want to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what is faith? Faith is a placeholder until the object comes and occupies that space. It's a, it's a placeholder. It says that, you know, this is what I believe for. And I'm going to stand in belief about it and for it until I no longer have to believe for it because it's there. When it's there, I don't have to believe for it. I don't have to have faith for it. It's there. When a healing comes, I don't have to have faith for it. It's there. I'm fine. I know it's there. I experience it. When, until the object or the breakthrough takes place of that, of that, of that um, takes the place of that fa- placeholder, I have to have faith for it because faith makes the space available. See, if I don't, so let's look, look at it in material, in material ways. If I want to put, put something in a place, let's say I needed this stand to go in between these two chairs. For whatever reason, just work with me. I had to create space. I had to rip this one out and I had to put it there. Now I've created a space. That object can now fill the space. Faith creates the space. Until you start applying your faith for something, there is no space yet. And sometimes the object will come and it will try to get into that space. And it doesn't get there. Why? Because I have not got faith for it. Faith creates a space. It makes space so that the object can fill that space. God wants to heal. God wants to provide. God wants to bless. But sometimes I didn't make the space for it. So we need to learn how to walk by faith. So we said to ourselves, okay, good. We're going to go to America and we're going to become a part of this ministry. We have nothing. Like we left South Africa with zero dollars. 
We had sold everything, right? And we had, um, well, I, I, I won't say zero dollars. Let me, let me restate that. We left South Africa without the financial ability to make this move happen on our own. But we said, Lord, if you want to make this happen, we'll believe for it. And so we started taking steps. Let's apply for things. Now, I, we applied for things before we had money to actually pay for those things that we're applying for. And so we would create the space. And then what would happen? God would provide. And then the object would start filling that space. We got our visas. Lord, we don't know even how to sell our business. But we need to sell our business. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Well, let's just trust God. Let's try. South Africa at that time wasn't in the place where businesses was just selling easily. Housing market wasn't on the up. There wasn't a buyer's market. And so we had to go like, well, you know, we can go and look at the physical environment and ask ourselves, is it going to work? It doesn't look like it's favorable to work in this environment, so therefore we're not going to try it. Or we can go, the kingdom of God wants us to try this. And so we're going to try nonetheless. Even when it doesn't look like physically it's going to work out, we're going to try it. You know how many things we've tried <laughs> just because we knew the kingdom of God wanted it? Before we had resources, before we had, that, see that's, that's the problem with our, 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 our earthly way of thinking. We won't move until we know we have everything in place to be able to do it. Well, that's not faith. There's no faith required for that. It's going to happen. So I don't have to trust God for that because I have the ability to do it. Now, do I need to just stay alive? Yeah, sure, I need to stay alive. And I thank him for my breath and my lungs. But it's not like, you know, I look at the project and I go, oh my goodness, this is going to require a miracle. And let me just say this, y'all, we're moving into miracle season for our church. This weekend, a bunch of men slaved away at our property trying to get some of the things cleaned up and ready for our fun day on the 3rd. Let me tell you, it's going to take a miracle to build that place. But y'all, I've been talking to architects. I've been talking, to, do I have money to pay him? I don't have the money to pay him. So what do I need to do? Do I need to forever just wait until maybe something happens? No. I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to create the space, at least, that God can fill objects in. So we have to catch this. But fear will tell you, don't create space. Don't create expectation. Stay safe. Faith necessarily has some risk to it. And therefore, we need to make sure that our heart condition is, is healthy. We're doing this for the right reason. And I guess that's where it became sticky in the church. Because people really took this topic of kingdom economics and stewardship. And just started making it about self-gain. This is not what this is about. And the minute you start thinking about financial stewardship in the, in the, in the way of self-gain, you've already missed the heart of the kingdom. All right, I want to I give you guys some key truths about a kingdom economy, okay? Number one, in the kingdom economy, God owns everything. So if we want to slot into this place where God can do big things in and through us, we got to come out of an ownership mentality and we have got to come into a stewardship mentality. The second thing is God is a faithful father who provides for all the needs of his children. The third thing is God wants me to be generous to every good work. 
Why? Because that tests the alignment of my heart. That tests whether my heart is aligned to his purposes or whether I'm in this for self-gain. Fourth thing is I can live from sonship and inheritance, not from a worker who gathers earnings. Y'all, this is huge. Think about your children. Right now, think about your own children. Think about your dad. Did he require you to work for food? Work for tuition? Did he require you to work to provide for your own things? If he did, he probably wasn't able financially, personally, but let me tell you, deep in his heart, he wished that he wouldn't have to. There's something about a father that wants to provide for his children, that wants to bless his children, that wants to just make his children thrive and, 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 and let them prosper. We have that mentality about our own children, but then we miss it when we translate it to our relationship with our Father in heaven. Now, now, now it's suddenly somewhere something different. No, it's not. God has that same mentality. He wants to help us thrive and help us be prosper but here's the thing if your son tells you dad i want to do my own thing i want to live in my own house i want to i want to i want to have my own stuff and i don't want to share it with you i don't want to share it with this house i don't want to share with my siblings i want my own stuff my own possessions my own place to stay i want to choose when i eat where i eat what i eat i want to do it all my own Does that change the dynamic a little bit? So now the dad goes, man, I want to bless you, but dang, you're just so, you're so stingy, man. You know what, I want to buy something for you, but the way I'm going to buy it for you is I'm going to buy it for the house. How many of you bought gifts for your children that was really for the house? (laughs) All right? You get the... You know what, the electric car thing. But you know what? I'm expecting you to share it. Like we bought these little hover things, you know, that you stand up and it goes forward the way you lean. Um, Hoverboard. And each child got something. The one got a scooter, the one got a hoverboard, hoverboard, rollerblades. But guess what? They're all using each other's stuff. Why is it for them easy to go, hey, can I use that one for a little bit? Sure. Because they understand that it's part of the household. And yes, I received it and it's mine, but I'm willing to share it with you and, and let you enjoy it as well. Because you know what? If, if, if something happens to it, you know, dad's going to be good for that. It's a different mentality. But if I go, no, you know what, this is mine. It's a different attitude. (laughs) So stepping into a mentality of sonship in the kingdom of God gives you this. Listen up. Access to a lot of things that's not yours. You see, my kids get to, they get to experience all those toys. They get to rollerblade, they get to hoverboard, they get to scooter. But only one has a rollerblade, one has a hoverboard, one has a scooter. But they get to experience it all. So if they're out there talking to their friends and their friends are talking about hoverboarding, the one who does not have a hoverboard talks along. Yeah, the other day I was on the hoverboard and blah, 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 blah. blah. Oh, you have a hoverboard? No, but our house does. Sonship gives you access. But if you're, if, you're, if, if, if you're of the mentality that everything has to be mine, then number one, you're going to isolate yourself so much that you only have access to what is yours. 
The kingdom economy really is an issue of access. When we live in a currency of faith, right? So listen to this. Listen to this. I'm hoping this is starting to make sense to you. There is two currencies that you can live with. You can live in your, your earth currency, your, your nationality. Mine's called the rand. Y'all's called the dollar. You can live in that currency as, as your main currency with which you need to make life happen. Or you can live in the kingdom's currency. The kingdom's currency is faith. <clears throat> the kingdom's currency is faith. So if you live in that currency of faith, you're living as a son in the household of God where there is everything that you need. But you need to learn how to create space for it. Align first and foremost to the will of the household. And see, that's where the issue comes in. Because <laughs> we're rebels at heart, man. <laughs> We don't want to align to the, to, the, to, the, to the will of the Father. We want to have it our way. <laughs> and listen to me, so long as you want it your way, you're going to have to get by with your stuff. That's the heart of the kingdom and the kingdom economy. The minute you say, okay, Lord, I'll submit, I'll come into your way of doing things. And I'll start living this life by faith. Now all of a sudden, it's not just your stuff anymore. You have access to the whole house of stuff. And it's just a matter of asking what God is doing and saying, okay, Lord, I want to create faith for that. I want to create space for that. I'm going to believe you for this thing. I can't make it happen on my own, but I'm going to believe you for this. And then I'm going to take steps that would lead to that in faith that you are going to fill the void that I create through my faith. But that's why this whole thing of kingdom economics is a heart issue. It's first and foremost a question of where is your heart at? Is your heart for God and his kingdom or is your heart for you and for your own? But today I want to I talk about just, first I want to let you know, I'm not working an angle here to trick you into giving, okay? I'm not going to take up a special offering after this service. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to, in time, when we're ready, we're going to launch our building campaign, and that's when we will do the ask. But the bottom line is, is that, until we start operating as sons, we're not going to have the ability to believe for what God is wanting to do through us. So I want to ask you a important question. What's your primary economy? Is it the economy of the dollar, the greenback, or is it the kingdom of God? Philippians 4.17 says this, and this I believe is truly my heart today. It's not that I'm seeking a gift, but I'm looking for the fruit that may be credited to your account. Some of the things that I'm trusting God for, that I'm putting my faith out for to create space in this area, and I really need you all to see this with me and add your faith to it because some of these things are so big that I, I can't create enough space for it. I need more of y'all to hook into this vision and to say, this is going to be what's happening for us here. I'm praying for our cities' economies to grow. I'm calling new businesses into town. Thank me for Rochettos. I called them. I ate in their place in Scott, and I said, Lord, I would like a Rochettos in Crowley. You're welcome. I'm saying that in jest, but really that is a true scenario because that's the only way it starts happening. Somebody said we needed a Rochettos and Crowley and they started believing for it. And they were able and they were able to work through the, the red tape and the bureaucracy and they were able to, because what they believed, they created that space. And when somebody tried to, to cave that space in, they fought to say, no, keep the space open. There's going to be a Rochettos and Crowley. 
You know who need our faith right now? Karchners. Why? Because they hit bureaucracy. And they know what happened? He stood back. Now he, I'm trusting God that he's going to re-engage that battle to create that space again. But he went for a place that they had space created. And so hopefully when that one is blessed and it runs well, he will re-engage the space to start that business here in town. Let me tell you, every single new business that comes into our space is going to face a, 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 a resistance to that space that's opening up. Why? People don't like voids. It freaks them out. It's like everybody wants to know what's happening in North Parkinson. There's a new building coming up. What's that going to be? 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 The bottom line is, y'all, your may well-intended resistance to growth is keeping food off of a family's table who can't find work in a decent area close to their home. Is keeping a dad employed in a place where he can't spend time with his family every day. We have got to step out of our selfish perspectives of our area. Y'all, this place needs to grow. It needs to grow to help people. And if it doesn't fit you and how you like to live, just move outside of the city center into the country town and you'll be fine. But let it grow. Because our people need it. I'm asking God to give y'all ideas of businesses to start. Concepts of how to create jobs in this area. I'm trusting God for our tourism. I'm trusting God for our farming. I'm trusting God for our sports, for our manufacturing. I'm trusting for our education, for our entertainment, healthy entertainment to come in town. My heart is to see this region develop and thrive. I pray for policies that drive growth, politicians that promote development. I call that in. If you're not calling that in, you're resisting me. So that people won't have to travel for days to get good jobs. We need this place to develop so that we can employ our own people. Stop shipping our labor off to Texas and Florida. That benefit from our people's labor, benefit from our people. But our people suffer because our families are struggling under the pressures. Come on, y'all. We need to understand what's more important than the other. If we can only see the greatness to which God has called us, how an impact he wants to make generationally through us here, how we can contend and create space for things to come and materialize in this area that will benefit our children's children. But instead, the Christians just want to be, just want to be rescued. Y'all, we have a dominion mandate on this planet to bring the kingdom of God to this place. Where's your heart at? You trying to escape? Or are you trying to take dominion? Taking dominion is gonna take faith. So we can create space and fight for that space to stay open long enough for things to fit in that. Will you have faith with me? The father of our faith, Abraham, um, the Bible has a principle called the law of first mention. 
It's when something is mentioned the first time in Scripture, it lays down a principle that is then after that to be applied over all the rest of Scripture and our, our, our faith. So when, when something new is taught in the Bible for the first time, it means that it's laying down the foundation, the, 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 the basis on which that is going to operate. Okay? So when, 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 when God in the Garden of Eden killed an animal to make proper garments for his children who sinned, blood was shed, and that was how sin would be dealt with from henceforth. An innocent animal had to die, blood had to be shed for there to be remission of sin. It became a principle that ran through all of Scripture, even to the point where Christ himself, the lamb, had to die. His blood had to be shed in order to pay for the sins, our sins. So when the first time something is mentioned in Scripture, you can, you can pull that through the rest of Scripture. Here's something that was, that was mentioned the first time with Abram. In Genesis 14.20, there was a war. Abram was, was, was um, fighting against people. And then there came a man called Melchizedek. He's called the king of Salem. And he brought out bread and wine. This was after the war, after he had helped Abram to, um, uh, to, to face that war and win it. Um, and then he said, he blessed Abram by saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And, then, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says this, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So coming back to the heart. Bringing our finances into the kingdom our, our, and how we manage our households into the kingdom requires us to honor God like the father of our faith honored God. You see, the whole concept of tithing isn't an issue of law or not law. It's not an issue of, um, of, 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 of curse or not curse. No, it's an issue of the heart. It's an issue of honor. Am I willing to honor my provider? The one who gave me the breakthrough, the one who puts breath in my lungs, the one who saves me from my sin. Is my heart connected in such a way to him that I'm willing to honor him through my life, through every part of my life, including my increase, including, including my, my provision? So when Proverbs 3, 9 verse 10 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruit of all your produce, it's not, it's not strange. Because the whole concept is that I honor God with whatever he entrusts to me. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So in the Old Testament, we see instances of people that give out of honor. We also see people giving because of compliance. There were laws that dictated how much needed to be given at what time. Okay, So under the Mosaic Covenant, there was a tithe instituted to the temple. It was called a temple tax. And it was meant to fund the operations of the temple. And everybody that worked in the temple that couldn't work in the general, you know, um, fields of employment so that they would be cared for. But that wasn't the only tax that these guys had to pay, y'all. There was a second tax, a second tithe that they had to pay. This tithe was called the, the, the tithe for for the yearly feast, when they would come down to Jerusalem to bring their yearly sacrifice, they had to spend a tithe of their resources to celebrate and provide for the feast. It was required. It was a law. That was not the only tithe that they were told to pay. There was a third tithe that these guys had to pay. They had to pay a tithe that was called the tithe to the poor. Every third year, they had to bring another tithe. And give it to those who went without who were poor. So if you look at a three-year period, the Israelites weren't asked to give 10%. It was more like 23%. If you work it on a year-on-year -year basis, it was 20-20-30% that they had to give by law. So I'm just so grateful for grace. <laughs> because the cross changed many of these things. As Christians, we weren't burdened with all these same things. And, 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 and you know, when, 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 
when Malachi 3 verse 9 to 10 says this, Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? How have you robbed me in your tithes and contributions? Not in tithe and contributing. Tithes, there were many tithes I had to pay. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That meant not the 10%. That meant 20% for two years and 30% in the other year. Okay, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to test as the Lord if I will not open the windows of heaven for you to pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Because there was a law that was connected to a curse if they didn't comply to it. God's wrath came on the houses that did not comply to this. But y'all, can I state this emphatically? That this changed after the cross of Jesus. And there is no longer a law that is connected to a curse to Christians and managing their finances and biblical stewardship of finances. The New Testament makes a different law about our giving and it's all about the heart. Love, joy, thanksgiving becomes the determining motivation for giving. But if you think about it, how much can I give to express my love? <laughs> so in a sense, the cross went like, whoo, you know, we don't have all that weight on us. But then the minute you tell somebody, look, I'm not going to tell you how much you should give. Just whatever you have on your heart. Now it's messing with you, man. It's like, uh, how do I say thank you? <laughs> how do I even start saying thank you? Here, just take it all. <laughs> you want this? <laughs> but that's the place where God wants us to live in. He wants us to live in that place. Not the place where I tick off a box and says, yes, I did it, yes, I did it, yes, I did it, yes, I did it. He wants us to live in that place where I say, Lord, what can I do for you, my Lord? Lord, I've received too much. I don't deserve even a tithe of what I have given you, what you have given me. But Lord, you've, here I am. Let me express what I experience of you. Let me express just this incredible gratitude. I want to honor you for who you are in my life. The New Testament, the New Covenant takes away the minimum standards of acceptance and replaces it with a measure of thanksgiving and honor in trying to live as generously as we can. But it removes that threat of, look, I'm going to curse you. So for those of you who have not started giving and honoring God with your income, don't fear God. He's still your dad, right? I think of my boy, Gray, he's five. I mean, he contributes barely nothing except his presence and the joy I get from him. Last night we were at a wedding. Um, you know, two of our members got, got married last night, uh, Jody and Chance. And my boy, man, when he hears a beep, bro, he just like... He just wants to throw moves. He doesn't know any moves. But man, he saw something somewhere and he thinks he's tap dancing. And he gets after it. I look at that. I go, boy, what you want? Right now, you can ask me anything. I'll give it to you. you that is just so darn cute. I have a couple of more years to call him cute. After that, I'll, I'll fall into disrepute if I was to keep calling him cute. But the bottom line is that he brings me so much joy. When he needs something, he has it. When my children are lack for something, my heart breaks. 
Like, my wife shared something with me just here recently about a, you know, and I was just like, oh, Lord, we're going to change that. We're going to change that. But understand this, y'all, that with freedom comes responsibility. Just as the law protected Israel and pointed them to their need for a savior, but was only a shadow of the reality that God was pointing to, which was Christ indwelling and a real relationship through grace. So the laws on tithing pointed us to the need for giving. But it was only a shadow of the reality, which is having an internal desire to be generous toward God and his work. Through his church, through grace. You see, the Old Testament is a shadow. It's not the real thing. But it does point to something that's important. You're going to need salvation because this law is just too much. You're going to need to give. Because without it, there's consequences. So just as we're not to use our freedom as a license to sin, we're also not to use our freedom financially as a license for stinginess. Oh, there's no curse. God's going to take care of me. Yes, he is. But there are some consequences to living stingy. Just as sinfulness draws you away from intimacy and relationship with God, and it draws you into all sorts of destruction, even though it doesn't condemn you to hell. So stinginess will draw you away from the blessing of giving and receiving, and it will draw you into all sorts of financial hardship and destruction. But you're still not condemned under God's curse. God's not mad at you. You're just facing the consequences of your own stinginess. So let me come back to this whole concept of if I'm a son, I can live from the household. I don't have to own nothing, but I still have access to everything. Listen to this. Workers focus on laws and regulations and on minimum standards for maximum immediate gain. But heirs, sons, focus on grace, on relationship, and on generosity, and on contentment in the now, because they know that we're building something that is already mine, but one day it's going to be totally mine. I don't mind not getting something right now, because I know this house is being built, and one day this house is going to be mine. And so I'm looking to the future, and I'm seeing my inheritance. And I don't have to take out of it now for me, me, me. I can go, hey, what's best for us, us, us? Because one day this is going to be our inheritance. And whatever I have access to now, need for now, I have access for. It's the difference between these two sons. The one said to God, I want my inheritance. I want it now. That's says, there you go. He went and tried to do that on his own. The other boy stayed, but he missed it. Dad comes to him, says, dude, you have access to everything all this time. You're complaining about not having a little go to go and celebrate with your friends. Pick one. They're yours. Don't eat them all. We need them to breed. But you know which are the past breeding? Eat it. Sons have access. The one son was a worker. He's a rebel, sorry. He wanted for himself, went away. The other son was living as a son, but living as a hireling. Was in the house, but not realizing that he had access, that he had right to that. Yo, we can't be either of those two boys. So my question is, where's your heart when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God and your finances? Remember, Sada, I wasn't going to become real practical today. I'm after the heart here. I'm after us saying, Lord, I want to get at myself. 
Are you fighting for what's yours and trying to argue for minimums? How much must I give so that it be enough? I don't know. The 10% is a great guide. But sometimes you might be in a season where you just lost everything and you don't have 10% to give right now. But let me tell you, you will always have something to give. But you can't be given nothing. Because with no seed in the ground, there can be no increase for you. The law pointed to a need. But the reality of it is I need to connect my heart to the kingdom. The kingdom is going to pull me through this thing. The kingdom is going to make me recover. The kingdom is going to prosper me in the future. Not for my sake, but for his sake. But until it's here, until my heart switches to being a son, I'm going to have to ration. Who's, who's ready to step into the household of God and start living from the table of the Lord? Who's willing to start adding to that table so that it can be a place of enjoyment and feasting for everybody? That we might, we might enjoy sweet unity and peace that comes from being a son who is just enjoying being free in his house. I want to live in sonship. Honestly, that's the only way you break out of the situation that you are in right now. It's by switching into sonship. I have access. And then say, all right, I'm going to start believing for some things. I'm going to start creating the space. And now I'm going to fight for that space to stay open. Lord, I'm trusting you for this. I need a job that gives me 30% more money than what I have right now so that I can do what you have called me to do. Thank you, Lord. I'm calling in that job. Like I'm looking at this area, I'm saying, Lord, I'm calling in new businesses. Lord, we're calling in young people into our area. Boom, God sends us a university. You can thank me for that too. I'm just messing, okay? I know many other people have been praying as well. But I also have been praying for that. We don't have a, a, a specific group of people in this town that we need in this town. We need these people in our, we need young, young people in our town. So we call them. Lord, we pray that you will send us people. I didn't ask for a university necessarily. I just asked for young people. God decided to send a university. But that's our story, y'all. We're writing a story of how faith creates vacuums. Are y'all gonna create vacuums with me? Breakthroughs. When I drive past certain d- 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 certain businesses on the interstate, I say, I'll close that in Jesus' name. That's gonna run out of business in the name of Jesus. Not because I'm mad at the people, I'm mad at the devil for destroying people through some of these businesses. So I'll go, no, 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 no. Those people's hearts are gonna change so much that they're gonna wanna be at that business anymore. And it's gonna have to shut its doors. I'm creating a vacuum. Y'all, we're, we're facing flack for this. The devil comes at us. But by God, we're going to continue this journey. Bringing transformation, bringing the kingdom of God in this place. I need to end. Let's pray for our hearts. Lord, we want to live as sons so bad. Lord, we want to live, we want to live, we want to learn how to become sons again, God. We've been orphans so long, having to fend for ourselves, having to try on our own, having to do things our way, having to fight for every little bit that we got. God, we want to come and we want to come back to the house, Lord. Lord, we want, to, we, want to, we want to come into the living room and we want to just relax, not having to work for our next meal. God, we want to live in your provision. We want to live in your favor. We want to live in intimacy and closeness with you, Lord God. Where we know we have access to whatever we need, Father, but we also have, in, have an invite to the house's agenda, an invite to the house's direction. 
Lord, we don't want to continue to live as rebels in the house. We were constantly bucking the system, trying to do our own thing. Father, we want to come in alignment with your will for this place. Show us, Holy Spirit. What are you doing? We want to be involved in that, Lord God. Show us how to live these, make these vacuums by our faith. Praying and declaring things that ought to be. Because your word says they ought to be, not because we desire them for self-gain, but because your kingdom wants this place transformed into your image. Let your glory come on this place and let your image be pressed on these businesses, Father. On our region. We need you, God. We're coming back today. We're coming back today. We want to live from inheritance not from performance. We want to live from sonship and inheritance. Lord, use us. Use us, Lord, to make things happen that are just staggering in this place. That a little old church like ours could never have done that on our own. But because we came in alignment with the momentum of heaven, you pushed us through into those spaces and helped us establish your kingdom. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Use us, God. Send us ideas and concepts. Father, give us, give us ways that we can do things that, 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 that just brings your, your way and will into our area. Lord, we call new businesses to town, Father. We call things that we lack in, people to come and establish those things in Jesus' name. Father, we call work to our area in the name of Jesus. Lord, we call people to our area in the name of Jesus. People that need to be reached with your gospel. People that we need to be reached with your love, Lord God. We call them in in the name of Jesus.